Have you ever gotten in a fight with your boss or an employee or your spouse in the shower? Uh, not with them there, obviously. What do y'all think? That's weird. Y'all are the weird ones here. But just sort of in your head where you're telling them what for. And if they were here right now, I'd say this, and they'd probably say that. But I'd say, get them there. They wouldn't have a leg to stand on in my imagination. We're always really brave in our own brains, aren't we? We do this a lot with our, um, with the people that are close to us, with our in our marriages, in our um, working environments, in our church. You get upset with somebody. And you think, well, I'm going to tell them what for. And you, you kind of, you rile yourself up and you say it. Just, I'm going to say it on the drive to work. And then I'm, yes, sir, to your boss. Yes, ma'am, to your boss. Yes, sir, to your spouse. Yes, ma'am, to your spouse. Although I do believe yes, ma'am has said more than yes, sir. That's just a theory I have that I can't prove. Yes, dear. Is that it? That's better? Yes, dear. That's a happy marriage right there. That man's happy. Sound like Piglet submitting to... Yeah. So, anyway. Though, almost went on a tangent there for a second. Proof that the filter works. I know some people think his filter doesn't work all that well. It works sometimes. Anyway, so you're arguing with people and you got, you got all these things, you'll get these, and they'll say this. Now, what happens in our marriages oftentimes is we assume we know. We think we know what they'll say. And sometimes we're right. But sometimes we're wrong. It's really a 50-50 shot. And so what we like to do is we like to paint somebody as a thing and label them and say, this is how they respond. This is who they are and this is what they do. And if we do that in our marriages or we do that in our working relationships or in our, uh, in our, if you're single and you're dating somebody or you're engaged, there's a, there's a sense of, I know who they are because life is a lot easier when we're dealing with uncomplicated people. But none of the actual people that you deal with are uncomplicated. They're all complicated. They're all different types of people and they're a different type of person when they're hungry and they're a different type of person when they're tired. There's a lot of you who get hangry or fussy. Fussy is specifically... When you're sleepy and angry. So some of you have a bewitching hour. That you shouldn't talk about anything serious with your spouse after that moment. Like 10 o'clock. You should say, well, the Bible says we shouldn't go to bed angry. Well, you're not going to go to bed at all. The Bible doesn't mention this, but it's just good advice to go to bed crazy. If you've lost your mind... Go to sleep. That's just how marriages should function. Talk about it in the morning. You'll have a lot clearer perspective on it. 
Or you'll wake up and she'll say, I dreamt you died. <laughs> Either way, but we like, people are complicated, they're hangry, they're fussy, even on the, in, in and of themselves, they're, they're different people depending on what mood they're in. And so anytime that you simplify someone and you predict someone and you say, I know how they're going to respond. I know what they would say. Oh, they would say this. I'm going to ask them this, but I, wouldn't, I won't even ask them because they would say this. I would guess that happens a lot in relationships, especially young relationships where you think, oh, I, I want to go to this particular place, but they're going to say no, so I won't even say. Have you ever had that God-awful conversation of, where do you want to eat? Oh, it doesn't matter. Liar! You are lying to me because I'm about to say Taco Bell and you're going to say no. And I'm going to say, I thought you said it didn't matter. And you're going to say, well, it does matter on what I don't want to go to eat. But guess what? You get to guess for the next 30 minutes on where I want to go. I haven't. I've never been in that conversation. But maybe you have. When we... When we assume we know something about somebody or we say, oh, I know what they'll say or I'm not going to say this straight out because I know what I know what they'll say. I know you know how they are. Well, no, I don't know how they are. That's what's beautiful about relationships. Is you get to find out. You get to seek. You get to figure it out. Sometimes you mess up. Sometimes you step in places that you didn't know were bad. You didn't know that was a violation. You didn't know that that was a a problem. And I learned now. And now I know something about you. But that may change in a while. And I will learn when it changes and when it shifts. What's crazy about relationships is that they're between two people who are crazy all the time. They're so different. We're so different. We're so out of sorts from each other. We're so um, we we were we're raised in different um, places and different times and not different times usually, but like different settings, we have different contexts. And so any assumption is usually a it might not be wrong, but the percentages are low that it's going to be right. So when we make these assumptions about people, a lot of times it's easier to make assumptions than it is to seek. And we'll make assumptions about our spouse, we'll make assumptions about people at our church, people at our work, instead of seeking and finding them. To figure out who they truly are. The Song of Songs is full of poems about love. Uh, for a long time, we thought it was just allegorical. This is what Jesus. This is who God is to Israel, or this is what Jesus is to the church. But they, they've unearthed some in some archaeological digs recently, um, and by recently I mean in the past fifty years. They've unearthed some archaeological digs that of, of poem, of books of poems, love poems, just like this, and it just fits into the genre. It's they're just poems about love. And so there's some, there's some, uh, the, the, the poems are divided up into pretty standard sections of seeking and finding. So a lot of the poems have to do with, I've lost you, where are you? Uh, we have the, the woman who is looking for the man, we talked about this last week in, in chapter 5, 
We have the man who is in, in the work field and he says, I'm going to go find my beloved. And so he marks. And then when they find each other, there's an embrace. And usually the scene cuts off right when it gets a little dicey. Um, gets a little too um, intimate for young eyes. But they're also, once they find each other, one of the things they do is they describe each other. And so the poetry has a lot of, uh, you are, you know, they, it's, it's kind of odd stuff. Like, your teeth are like freshly washed lambs. Your neck is like a tower. Your, your, my, one of my favorite is, your temples are like fresh cut pomegranates. Oh, I thank you. It's just like, and there are some even, as he describes her, he goes from head to toe, and that's why we're not reading them straight through right now. It gets kind of racy at times. And, but he, but it's all like, your teeth are like, um, are freshly washed lambs. They're just saying you have white teeth. And then he goes on to say, and you, uh, each one has its twin. You know, he's saying you have a symmetrical face. Fantastic. And so that's a compliment. Back, that's a compliment. Don't you, young man, don't use that. Corbin, don't use that on your first date. What do you want to eat? You have a symmetrical face. Don't just blurt that out. Song of songs can't be used in romance anymore. But there's a description of I'm looking at you and I'm describing you. Now, what's crazy is that there's a bunch of these and they often repeat themselves. But it has so much to do with the seeking and the finding that when you seek, you find usually not what you're looking for, but what you see. When you genuinely seek, you're not like, well, I know what I'll find here. You're actually looking to see how, have they cha- how has your spouse changed in the past 10, 5, 20, 15 years? How have they changed? One of the most harmful things we can say to our, to our significant others is you aren't who you used to be. Does, that shows two things. It, it means we're comparing them to nostalgia, right? Nostalgia never is accurate. And two, we're saying you can't change. Because change is beautiful. That's growth. It's, we're, we're, we're changing. We're moving. We're, we're, we're growing. We're maturing. We're weakening at times. And sometimes our spouse needs to, like, for, for better or worse, you remember that promise? Sometimes we mature at an unsteady pace. And the love that we find in Song of Songs, is, is not, it's not just a feature of it, it's built upon the fact that we are seeking and finding each other over and over again. The worst 
marriages, the worst relationships are the ones in which the spouses, the partner, like the people in business together, the, um, the employees, the bosses have all made caricatures of the others. You know what a caricature is? You sit down at a carnival and the guy draws you. And instead of drawing an accurate depiction, he makes your head real big and makes your features real big, which my head was like real big on that. I have a big head, cranium-wise. I don't, sometimes I think that's obvious, but apparently it's not that obvious. I think it's just a joke. I once had a young lady in my uh, youth group when I was an intern. I had longer hair, and she reached across the table at a Denny's. We were sitting there with a bunch of kids from the youth, and she touched my head. And she went, aww. I said, what? She goes, I just always thought you had poofy hair, but you have a really big head. <laughs> so it was a running joke with my youth. Anyway. So look at this, the way, she, the way they're seeking and finding here in the Song of Songs. This isn't connecting to, for me. Can you progress the slide one, Judy? Song of Songs, chapter three, and you'll have to progress it a little bit here. Um, All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loved. Now, this is, a, this is the woman here speaking. I looked for him, but did not find him. That would have become obvious if I'd have just kept reading. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. This, this is reminiscent of last week's poem in chapter 5. Remember what she was doing last week? Seeking and finding. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? She asks. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. Sometimes this is translated my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go till I brought him into my mother's house to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There's this rhythm. She says this three times throughout the Song of Songs. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It's almost like a warning that the seeking and the finding, and it's always after she has sought him and she has either not found him or found, like the seeking and the finding, the looking for and the, the results of that are difficult. Love is hard. It's complex. To seek after someone is so much harder than just saying, I know who they are, creating a caricature, and then trying to live in harmony with someone that you've already defined and already found. But I found, I, I know who they are. They may change. And you've committed yourself to a human being. A human being who changes on a regular basis. You're not who you used to be. Yeah, no one is. 
but you are still who I committed to long ago. She's constantly searching for him. He's constantly looking for her. He finds her most of the time. She finds him some of the time. And there's this back and forth of them finding, seeking, and finding, and describing, then seeking, finding, describing. And then the whole, the whole, verse, the whole book ends in chapter 8. Let's go on to chapter 8 here. Yeah, there we are. Verse 13 says, You who dwell in the gardens with friends, this is he talking to her. You who dwell in the gardens with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. This is a way of him looking. He's looking at her in the garden, and there's people around her, and he, he wants to just be with her without anybody else around. Now, I'm an introvert. For those of you who are introverts, raise your hands and feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be recognized. <laughs> I'm an introvert. Um, now, you may say, Benjamin, that you're, you're nuts. You're not an introvert. I am. I actually am. I'm kind of right on the border of introvert and extrovert. But what introvert means is not that you don't like people. It just means that you get your energy from being by yourself. Extroverts get energy from being around people. Now, it's not that extroverts don't like being by themselves and introverts don't like being around people. It's just where do you get energy from? I'm an introvert. I, I'm, I'm, I need my time alone, and I've always needed that. We would go to um, get-togethers in high school, parties if you want to call them that, and I just didn't go. Not because I didn't like my classmates, I just didn't like being around my classmates. And that wasn't their fault, that was my fault. And now, when I'm at, like, a large gathering, not this one, but, you know, like a large gathering, there's times I want to leave, but I definitely don't want to leave without Rachel. So, she is included in my introvertness. So, I, sometimes I see her and I think, can we get out of the large crowd and just be together? And I feel his pain here. You with your friends and attendants call out to me. And then verse verse 14, she replies, Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. I have no idea what that means. But that's where the book ends. Just boom, it's ended. There's no concluding, and they lived happily ever after. Because we all know That's garbage. We all know that happily ever after is sort of like an end point on a story that goes on without trouble. But love doesn't end like that. Love's this opening of come away with me and then we don't know what happens. There's constant seeking and finding your spouse. If you've given up on figuring out your spouse... If you think you've figured them out. Now, some of you who've been married like 50, 60 years goes, okay, they might change their taste buds every once in a while, but we're pretty good here. It's because you spent a lifetime searching and finding. 
you have this backlog of material that you've found out about your spouse. You know, when I was a kid, seeing elderly people, of course, when I was a kid, people in their 40s looked elderly. You know how you get to 50 and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. I've heard. So, but watching elderly people walking around holding hands at the mall, you just be like, oh. Now they don't walk around holding hands. They just walk around at like 80 miles an hour. Just. But they used to just sort of meander, holding hands and like that. They didn't find the one that was for them. They kept finding the one that was for them. Because they kept seeking the one that was in front of them. Because they were committed to the one they committed to. There may be things you find out about your spouse, but those are joys. Those are new adventures. Those are not inconveniences. There may be things that you don't know, and that's a fantastic opportunity to grow in love. Jesus used this exact same language over and over again. He said, I stand at the door and knock. That's a Song of Songs reference. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Seek and you will find. God seeks after us. We seek after God. God is continually seeking us and we should be continually seeking God. God. The scariest place you can be as a Christian is a Christian who believes they figured it all out. And then it is now my job to teach other people constantly that I can't learn, I can't listen, I can't figure it out. That's the worst place to be because you're no longer in a relationship with God. Instead, you've got God hostage. And you're holding God hostage and you're saying, I know everything about you and if you worship a god you know everything about it's a god of your own imagination and i've said that before but i've never said this if you're married to a spouse you've figured out you're married to a spouse of your own imagination and you're not loving an actual person you're not listening to an actual person You're not growing with and learning about God or people around you. People are so complicated. The person you're married to is so complicated. Amen? Amen. Okay. Settle down, everyone. We are so so complicated. And that can be either an inconvenience or a beautiful thing. Thing that allows us to grow closer and closer together as we learn about each other, as we experience one another, as we seek each other, as we seek God, as we find each other, as we find God. Here's what's crazy about both seeking God and seeking a spouse. Is that for every one thing you learn, you learn about three other things you don't know anything about. So you may become more enlightened, but enlightening comes with the understanding that I'm ignorant. I don't have them all figured out. Answers, good answers only come with more questions. 
Good speaking only comes with good listening. Good finding only comes with good seeking. And love is a continual journey. Both love of God and love of others is a continual journey of seeking and finding, describing, seeking, finding, describing, seeking, finding. Because I, I, last time I described you may be different from the, this time I described you, but I am seeking and finding and describing. That's love. That's communal, committed love. Marriages that are stale, marriages that are stuck are the ones that have quit seeking, the ones that have quit finding, and the ones that have quit describing. There is something to be learned about your spouse, and there is something to be learned about God. And it's in that learning, it's in that experience, that interacting, that we find this thing that we can only really pinpoint as love. We are called out of our comfort into a journey of seeking and finding, describing, seeking, finding. It's a journey of love. My argument this morning, or my suggestion this morning is that the more you do that with God the more you will do it with others the more you will seek and find with the people around you so the more you love God the more you love others and the more you love others the more you'll love God and the more you realize how difficult it is to actually love to actually seek to find describe how hard it is to love complicated characters instead of bland caricatures. The more you see how hard it is to love them, the more you'll just be amazed of God's love for us. Jesus came to die because, he, because God loved the world so much. He seeks us still today. So if you need to be found by God, or if you need to start seeking his face, or if your marriage needs help, if your relationships at work need more Jesus, if you need prayer, if you need commitment, if you need baptism this morning, Please come forward while we stand and sing.